reeling clearly from the humanitarian impact of COVID-19 and the immediate social and economic consequences of the many restrictions governments have put in place to try to bring the virus under control. Um, governments have announced large fiscal and monetary stimulus packages to address immediate hardship and mitigate the economic impacts arising directly and indirectly from the spread of the virus. But to date, these have been less effective than governments may have hoped at calming market volatility and broader social concerns, and those concerns increasing as the restrictions on individuals' movements um, uh, are, are tightened. In the UK, the immediate focus of companies and other organisations has been on the health and welfare of their employees, their teams, and maintaining their business as far as possible through the preservation of their supply chain and management of operational issues arising from the restrictions, including the challenge of large-scale remote working and the prospect of absenteeism caused by illness, broader restrictions that are now in place, for example, in the UK and other factors. And whilst the health and safety of staff and customers are the overwhelming priorities at this time, the implications of these rather odd and unprecedented times are numerous and they're still emerging. Hi, I'm Kevin Paul and I lead our restructuring practice in Europe and financial distress is now becoming uh, a very common theme amongst many companies within Europe and that financial distress, frankly, isn't being assisted by daily government uh, announcements which are changing the rules that everyone has learned to live by in a commercial sense for a very, very long time. The UK and most of Europe is now in lockdown uh, and that, that is going to have a significant economic impact uh, across Europe. I'm assuming America will not be far behind uh, and, I, uh, and I strongly suspect that uh, this may very quickly become worse in terms of financial crisis than uh, in 2009. Because of the ever-changing uh, scenarios, the government's put in place its funding packages. Uh, large companies will be able to access the corporate finance facility, which is essentially a commercial paper program for investment-grade companies or large-scale employers, and smaller SMEs will be able subject to a cap of £5 million pounds to, be, uh, to access the business interruption loan scheme. The problem at the moment uh, that we're hearing from many people is actually working out what the rules for accessing those schemes are uh, is not entirely clear. For example, if you weren't a viable company before COVID, the, the chances of being able to access these schemes post-COVID uh, are, are likely to be slim. They the difficulties of the lockdown itself will also cause problems for companies actually accessing these schemes. And when we're looking at reports of a global drop in GDP of between 25 and 30% over the next six months, companies are going to have to get access to cash and, get, uh, and ensure that they maintain their liquidity through this process if they want to survive. At the end of the day, contingency planning is going to become key in these uncertain times. Uh, business continuity planning is going to be the thing that is going to uh, be uh, that the directors of companies must be focused on at all times going forward. In a typical recession, distressed companies that survive do so because they either have cash flow or they have the confidence of the lenders who are prepared to keep funding them. If your liquidity dries up, it doesn't matter how good your brand is, it doesn't matter how big your business is, 
you will fail. It's interesting that listed company announcements at the moment are increasingly talking about uh, available liquidity and increasingly talking about covenant compliance to provide some certainty to the market in relation to those businesses. Now, this is a huge challenge for any board of directors to cope with. This is going to hit both the supply and demand sides of their chains, and it's going to hit across every single sector in uh, the UK. If you add into that the oil price crisis that's going on, uh, the vast market uh, volatility that's going on, uh, and, and this indeed could get, get very, very bad very quickly. We are already seeing significant revenue streams falling away amongst our clients. Uh, we are being told by hotel, leisure, airline clients that there are significant distress issues that everyone is seeing in the press. Merchant services providers are beginning to retain cash to ensure that they get paid. Uh, and as a result, directors are obviously consider, considering what duties they owe. Now, in ordinary times, the board of directors uh, owes a duty to uh, shareholders to achieve the best they can for a company. As soon as a company is doubtfully solvent, those duties switch and become duties to protect the interests of creditors. Here, at the moment, and across Europe, people are considering turning off these duties. We know that people are in talking to the government about whether direct duties uh, should be turned off in terms of wrongful trading liability to, to ease the problem for directors to continue trading during this period of time. In Australia, yesterday, they turned off their director duties laws. The problem with that is that these laws are put in place to ensure that directors understand what the rules are and that who they can pay, who they can't pay, what is acceptable in a restructuring and what isn't acceptable in a restructuring. If you simply turn off those obligations in relation to duties, then increasingly that is going to impact other company cash flows as directors determine that they will not pay companies because they need to maintain their own cash. In terms of insolvency law, it's also worth bearing in mind that prior to this crisis, the approach to directors and insolvent companies in the UK was becoming increasingly hostile. Parliamentary select committees were encouraging regulators to pursue directors for liability. They were encouraging the FCA to pursue listed companies for misstatements. They were encouraging the pension regulator to bring claims where deficits existed and directors had, for example, paid dividends. Even today, as you've just heard from Anna, the pension regulator has put out guidance, which in, in one sense is sensible guidance that pension and trustees should try and preserve value when negotiating with companies about pension holidays or reductions in voluntary contributions, etc. But if that guidance also says that companies cannot move money around their group to assist other companies in the group, then potentially the pension scheme and the regulator will get in the way of successful companies continuing. So what should directors be focused on today? Frankly, it's got to be an absolute focus on liquidity. If you run out of cash, you, you will have nowhere to go. 
Therefore, you need to ensure your cash flow forecasting is accurate and up-to-date and regularly tested. You will need to be managing your revenue collection and understanding who is paying you, who isn't paying you, why they're not paying you, and whether or not that revenue is likely to come in, in the future. You all need to be looking at your discretionary spending and cutting that out, and you also need to understand what your roles are as directors on a board. Increasingly, uh, over the last week or so, we've had calls from executive directors of the board asking what they should do when approaching their lenders. One of our first pieces of advice is that actually you need to convene the whole board and have this discussion amongst the whole board. This cannot just be a problem for the CEO or the CFO if, if, if you're making decisions which are life and death decisions for the company. You also need to understand what lending facilities you've actually got available to you. Committed facilities um, uh, will be there. Potentially, you will be able to draw down those committed facilities. Increasingly, and has been reported in the press, lots of large companies are seeking to draw down their facilities to their limit as quickly as they can. The issue with that is whether or not you can submit a compliance certificate saying that you have no events of default or no misrepresentations within your finance documents. Obviously, in these financial circumstances that may be difficult and directors need to bear in mind that when making those compliance certificates they are potentially liable for the negligent misstatements contained in there and potentially suffer criminal liability under the Fraud Act if they make a statement knowing it to be negligent and that knowing that a bank will rely on it and lend you money. You also look, need to look at your uncommitted lines uh, because obviously those can be withdrawn instantly if banks wish to. And you also need to consider as interest payment dates come up whether or not there are events of default that you would have to notify to the lenders. Now, frankly, I would be astonished at this point in time if a sensible corporate approached its bank, sought forbearance in terms of potential events of default arising from breaches of financial covenants or liquidity issues. I, I, I would be astonished if banks aren't receptive to that at the moment. I cannot see the UK lending community wanting to uh, attract pariah status, frankly, as, as being the, the body that brings down UK PLC during these times. But the sooner you start talking to your relationship lenders and your lawyers and financial advisors, if there are issues, the better because the, the easier it will be for people to manage. In terms of drawdowns, I suspect banks will place much more scrutiny on that because banks, I'm certain at some point, will start thinking about their own liquidity issues going forward as well. And in, in, these, in this day and age, the, the financial structuring of most companies is much more complicated as well. So in addition to ordinary lending, there may be debt capital market lending, there may be hedge, hedges, there may be trading swaps. All of these things will contain termination triggers, which in themselves, if terminated, can result in a cash depletion on the company. And all of that has to be factored in when you're working out what your cash flow forecasting is looking like. On the bright side, um, things like material adverse change, we, people have been talking to us about that, and lenders call that. Material... This crisis is not an immediate material adverse change event. It will often depend on the drafting. 
Um, but we would recommend you speak to, to your lawyers on things like that if lenders are raising material adverse effect type clauses as a means to, to stop you drafting because there may well be ways of determining that there is no material adverse effect. The other thing it's worth remembering as a director today is that there's no law in the United Kingdom that requires an English company to stop trading just because it is insolvent. The laws in the UK are aimed at ensuring that if a company is insolvent, directors do something about it, that they recognize the problem and they try and solve it. If they don't try and solve it, and if they don't try and minimize losses to creditor, creditors, then today they may have personal liability. That may well change during the course of this week when Boris stands up and does his um, announcements at five o'clock every day because it would not surprise me if English law does get turned off in, in that regard, which would give everyone on this call some comfort, I'm sure. So to, to finish, what should your key factors be? Again, it's all about liquidity. It's all about cash flow and managing the balance sheet, understanding what your uh, cash flow forecasts are and ensuring you stay on top of that and, and stay on top of constantly engaging with your stakeholders, including shareholders to the extent you need money because shareholders may well be a source of money in all of this. And one final point, if you're the type of uh, company that has portfolio companies within your group which have joint venture arrangements linked to them, those joint venture arrangements may themselves inhibit significantly what those joint venture companies can do. Now, historically, we have seen uh, joint venture partners utilizing those arrangements to essentially leverage each other to, to try and get the better side of it a deal when a restructuring happens and it's worth bearing in mind those restrictive provisions when uh, your JV companies start falling into difficulty. The starting position for directors of all companies when considering potential distributions is a need to consider their duties as directors including the threshold question as to whose interest directors need to take into account. This is a point that Kevin was making a moment ago. These considerations will be more acute for companies in financial difficulty and directors will need to be mindful of their obligations and potential liabilities under insolvency law. But even for companies that are not in that situation, there is a need to consider whether it remains appropriate to pay dividends in accordance with past practice, having regard to the special circumstances we are now in. In deciding whether to pay a dividend, directors will need to take into account the company's projected cash flow, including how it will be impacted by COVID-19, declining revenues and debt service obligations. In some cases, it may not be appropriate for directors to declare a dividend, notwithstanding that the latest accounts show a distributable profit. Private companies may also need to take into account any contractual obligations to distribute profits, for example, in a shareholders agreement or joint venture agreement. Um, so, having deferred or cancelled planned dividend payments, the next stage for some companies will be to seek to raise equity capital. Kevin has already addressed the options available to companies in relation to their debt. From an equity perspective, again, the starting point for directors will be to consider their duties to the company and what's in the best interest of shareholders. This may include calling for further equity capital to repair the balance sheet and safeguard the business. Many private companies will have a predetermined framework for capital calls set out in their constitutional documents or their equity documents like the joint venture agreement. And these will range from voluntary to mandatory funding regimes. These regimes generally preserve the right of preemption, but there may be exceptions for emergency funding. And if emergency funding is contributed by one investor or if following a capital call, not all investors respond equally, there's likely to be an impact on governance and control. 
this could have real business impacts and could give rise, for example, to consolidation issues for accounting or regulatory purposes and potentially the need for regulatory consent. From a practical perspective, it's important for companies now to identify any planned distributions and consider whether they remain supported by projected cash flows and to consider the solvency of each group company on an individual basis to identify any solvency risks and the associated impact on other group companies, including Fosterbolt. Companies should be considering the sources of funding available to them, both debt and equity, and have a clear understanding of their contractual rights and the framework for calling more capital from shareholders. It will be important for all parties, that is companies and their investors, to engage early in discussions to, to assess the options available and to agree whether and when a funding plan is required. There is widespread anticipation in the market that many listed companies will seek to raise equity capital later in 2020. However, most market participants believe that this is not imminent. There are a combination of reasons for this. Generally, companies have cash at hand and access to debt facilities. Those that don't are not ideal candidates for equity solutions. Also, investors will be reluctant to invest at current equity valuations at a time of great market volatility and with such great uncertainty about the course of events. Timing will therefore be key. A small number of companies may move early, utilising the flexibility introduced by the prospectus regulation to raise up to 20% of their equity by way of a cash box placing without a prospectus. But most companies that can will wait until we're through the peak of the crisis and have more clarity as to the course of events and the scope of government intervention. Companies will be well advised to use this time to prepare. UK companies, unlike US companies, do not usually have shelf registration documents, enabling them to raise large amounts of capital quickly. If a capital raise in the next six months or so is likely, they'd be well advised to draft, uh, prepare a draft prospectus well ahead of time, so they're in a position to move quickly if market conditions look conducive to an equity raise. We expect companies and directors to be focused on liability issues. Last year, judgment was given in favour of Lloyds Bank and its former directors on the first securities law class action to be brought to trial in the UK. Although the judgment is reassuring to listed company directors, the fact it came to trial and the changing landscape with specialist claimant side firms, litigation funding and the class action mechanism growing in use means that boards will be focused on process and diligence defences, insurance and indemnification. Underwriting structures will present challenges. We've seen greater use of standby underwriting facilities in the market in recent years, but these are unpopular with investors and there are increasing concerns that the conditionality to which they are subject and shareholder reaction to them undermines the certainty they're supposed to provide. Underwriting conditionality could be a key battleground over the next 12 months. The increased risk of hard underwriting in this environment is likely to be reflected in an increase in underwriting fees. There will be challenges too with wall crossing processes. Information about planned capital raises will be price sensitive and can be disclosed selectively if that is justified and if confidentiality can be maintained. There will be tension between the issuer's need to consult widely with investors to secure support for deals and the need to maintain confidentiality and avoid the risk of a leak putting further pressure on the share price. So what can companies be doing now? What should they be doing now? Three words, monitor, discuss, prepare. Monitor the impact of the virus and the governmental responses on their business. Discuss what options are available with their advisors and prepare in advance to reduce the execution timetable when the time comes, focusing particularly on working on a draft prospectus, keeping the working capital model up to date, and if necessary, preparing a data room to assist with underwriting diligence. We could not um, sensibly or comprehensively or exhaustively have covered all of the issues raised today in great detail. Um, we will um, already have on our COVID-19 hub a number of materials that go into some of these subjects in greater depth. So please
please either get in touch with us directly or look on our hub if you would like more information on any of the points that we've covered. And finally, uh, as I said at the start, please do take a few minutes to provide some feedback as we devalue and learn from your input on these sessions. Thank you all for listening in, and I hope you all stay safe and well. Goodbye.